0: Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance.
1: You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Today's cool fact of the day is that chemical exposure early in life can actually change your health problems later in life. It's well known that BPA or bisphenol A, a chemical that is common in plastics, is tied to a whole bunch of bad stuff from diabetes, heart disease. And now we found out how early that can start. Researchers at Baylor College of Medicine in Houston exposed mouse pups, I don't know why they call them pups, they should be like mouse, mouselets to the chemical BPA for only, or only five days after birth, which is a time at which their livers develop. And as long as the BPA exposed mice ate mouse chow for the rest of their lives, they were healthy. But... If they switched some BPA exposed mice over to a high fat diet as adults, those mice got larger livers, higher cholesterol, and more metabolic problems than mice who ate a high fat diet but weren't exposed to BPA as pups. I just like to point out here that a high fat mouse diet is not high healthy fat or uninflamed fat. It's actually a high crappy fat diet, which is a problem in labs. I'd also like to point out that all mouse studies are suspect because the big variable that no one controls for is that when women feed mice, they behave differently and they have different study outcomes than when men feed them. Oops, no one forgot when they say we control for all variables, that one they missed. And this is kind of interesting because we're learning more and more every day about what plasticizers do to you. And bottom line is, they suck, but for babies, they're even worse. So splurge on the glass baby bottles already. For 25 years, I've had a strong passion for understanding the science behind why we age and what we can do about it. One of the most groundbreaking discoveries in the last two decades is senolytics. Senolytics are plant-derived or pharmaceutical ingredients that can help your body drop old, worn-out cells. Scientists call them senescent cells, and in my books, I call them zombie cells. As you age, those senescent cells build up in your body. They live for a long time, and they eat up your energy. There is a hack for this. It's called Qualia Synolytic. Your podcast sponsor, Neurohacker Collective, created Qualia Synolytic. It eliminates those zombie cells and has a clinical study that supports its effectiveness. I really felt a difference in how my body moved after just a couple months on Qualia Synolytic. It's upped my energy level even more, and my joints feel really good. If you're over 30 and you want to use a clinically tested formula to help you feel younger, try Qualia Synolytic. To get younger now, visit neurohacker.com Dave and try it risk-free for up to 100 days. Use code Dave at checkout to get 15%. That's neurohacker.com Dave. Use code Dave. When you hear someone talk about blood sugar, you might zone out. That's because a lot of us think that it's only relevant to people with type 2 diabetes. But blood sugar is a topic that everyone should understand. If you want to feel good and have energy, you need to balance your blood sugar. Research shows that even healthy people have wild swings in their blood sugar right after they eat, and spikes in blood sugar make your pancreas work harder. They also make you older, and they put you at a greater risk for weight gain, heart attack, and stroke. Here's why I'm talking about this. Bioptimizers has a new product called Blood Sugar Breakthrough you take two capsules 15 minutes before a meal. Your body will push carbs and glucose into your muscles for use as fuel instead of fat. That means you get stable energy and you don't have that post-meal crash. Better yet, you can improve your workouts and get better gains at the gym. But the biggest benefit is that it'll improve your overall health. Just go to Dave for an exclusive 10% off. Today's guest was on episode 136 of Bulletproof Radio. That's almost 500 episodes ago, which is kind of mind-boggling in and of itself. And one of my favorite evolutionary uh, biologists, and her name is Nora Gedgaudas. Gedgaudas. Close da- enough. Close enough. <laughs> Nora, I've never said your name properly. <laughs> you say it one more time.
2: Gedgaudas.
1: Gaudis, man. That is tough. Normally people just call me David Ass Spray. And I got over that in seventh grade, but I can see you're still struggling with uh, name. I've heard
2: every possible permutation (laughs) of pronunciation of my name that you can imagine. Well, my apologies. You've done better than average, actually.
1: I've read your books, (laughs) if that counts. And I have to say early on before I get into your bio, uh, my wife, Dr. Lana, you know Carolyn's good trained, uh, doctor co author of the Better Baby book with me about what we can do before and during pregnancy to have healthier kids through epigenetics. She's like, Dave, you're talking to Nora, <laughs> like she's my favorite author in the field, and so she's a huge fan and just asked that I call that out. So That's there you go, Lana, I did it. You can check that one off the. Thank you, Lana. Your list. check's in the mail. <laughs> Uh, Nora's pretty well known in certain circles and biohacking and paleo and things like that as an early adopter of a low carb, high fat diet. And she looks at evolutionary physiology, biochemistry, metabolism, nutrition. And on top of that, she's a neurofeedback specialist with 20 years of experience, certified gluten practitioner and works out of Portland, Oregon, one of the I heard that the, the city official flower of the city of Portland is, what is
2: it? Well, no, the the, the state flower of Oregon is
1: mildew. It's mildew, excellent. Yeah, 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 right. <laughs> we were talking about how to fight environmental mold. That's yeah. one of the evolutionary pressures, which is pretty cool. This time, instead of talking about neurofeedback and psychedelics and paleo all at the same time, which was yeah. our last interview, uh, we're going to talk about a new thing that Nora's been working on called primalgenic.
2: Yes, so... Yeah, one of the first things I want to I want to comment on is that I wasn't just one of the early adopters of a fat based, basically ketogenic approach to ancestral nutrition. I was the first one to write about that in the genre. Um, many many years ago, I think my, my first book came out in two thousand nine, uh, a self published version of it, and then primal
1: it, body, primal mind.
2: Yeah, and then I got approached by the current publisher, and they just said, "We love this book. We'd like to do it upright." And uh, it was their number one book for many years until fairly recently.
1: Nora, as a you know, professional New York Times author kind of guy in one of yeah. my one of my different hats, it is Show. damned difficult to get a self-published book over to real publisher. It's almost unheard of. So it, it the is. fact that you did that is incredibly yeah. difficult. So like, like hats off. <laughs> you know,
2: I, I had no I, I had really no intention. I mean, it. it I just thought, you know, I have this stuff. I got to put it on paper. I want to put it in a published form so I can feel good about it and hand it out to people. And I figured, okay, this will be a nice little supplemental source of, you know, extra extra cash or whatever. I had no idea it was going to do what it did. It just took off, you know. Next thing I know, I'm being asked to speak at UCLA and travel to Australia. And I mean, it's just, it's been a crazy, crazy ride. It
1: it makes me feel good when, when the people who are originators of a concept, you know, get a chance to go out and spread it. Uh, before it gets, you know, sort of borrowed and diluted, and it, it's funny because your idea behind primogenic is around, you know, the co-opting of paleo and ketogenic. And we're yeah. recording this live at Paleo FX. Yeah, and my talk was was <laughs> right? was all about why a keto, as you know it, is dead. Here's what's happened when people who don't understand it say, "Oh, let me just make a keto product."
2: Exactly, exactly. This yeah. is the problem: is that for when I started out talking about this in the ancestral health sphere, um, it, you know. It was like I was a voice in the wilderness and nobody really wanted to hear it because we know we've got the twenty-something paleo crowd but who love their num nums and yam-yams. Um and it was <laughs> just very hard to convince anybody that going low carb was a good idea. And there were a number of controversial things that cropped up that that created a, you know, big vicious back and forth. And, you know, I didn't participate in that, but it was like well, crazy.
1: You're, you're a neurofeedback practitioner, which means you understand more about psychology and the workings of the human mind, the unconscious workings than the average person writing about butter. Right. right?
2: I've (laughs) spent more than 20 years in the trenches working with real suffering people with real problems coming to me for help. And one of the things I learned, I mean, neurofeedback, as you know, and you know, we're also connected with the Othmers and who are my family. I mean, they are, I, Siegfried and Sue are more family to me than my own family in some ways. And um, it's an incredibly powerful, powerful you know, modality, but I could be doing the most perfect protocol in the world for someone. It's not going to put a nutrient there that's not there. It's not going to take away some interfering substance that doesn't belong. You know, the brain and the body need certain raw materials in order to function. And what I found was that all too often I was running into, you know, working with people, and I could see that whatever it was that they were doing, you know, with their diets was was absolutely, you know, affecting all of this. And so I found that when I applied what I know about the nutritional side of things, that where people were open to that, the results were much faster, they were more powerful, and they were more enduring for
1: people. It's it's the same sort of thing at the neurofeedback facility that I started. Very very different than the st- style you do, and and per- perfectly compatible. So I'm just saying not sure. competitive in any way. Right. Um, Five days, you know, ten hours a day. But if I don't feed people right, I have to bring in an executive chef because they can't do the work if they're totally. not fed right.
2: Right, the brain doesn't have the fuel that it needs to do yeah. the do the work. Forget it; it's like a waste of time. So,
1: so here, here's here's where I was going with with that yeah. question about being a neurofeedback person. I'm starting to see some disturbing similarities between what I'm going to call the keto bros. The, the dude, my ketones are higher than yours, and if you ever eat a carb <laughs> again, you're a bad man. And like, like some like really like just kind of vile personal attack stuff out there. And they're starting to sound an awful lot like another crowd. One uh, I used to be a raw vegan and all that, but but there there might be some angry vegans, stereotypically speaking. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've I've just yeah. heard about. It. I've never yeah. never seen one online or anything. Um <laughs> so why is it that there's these incredible just warfare things online both at the at both radical ends of the spectrum like if you eat a carb again you're a bad person or you know if you eat a drop of fat you're going to die right where's the anger and the bile coming from
2: well the anger and the well
1: well, the bio's not coming from vegan.
2: <laughs> no, it's not. Well, right. I mean, you know, without being overly disparaging, I mean, I can tell you from my more than 20 years of experience in working with the brain and nervous system, and by the way, Portland is number two in the country in terms of being a vegan center, Yeah. right? Um, by far the most damaged intractable tractable brains and nervous systems I've ever worked with have been, veget- you know, hardcore vegetarians and especially vegans. You know, we're talking about extremely agitated nervous systems. Yeah. And, you know, once things get past a certain point, you know, we can store maybe five years worth of B12, you deplete that. Some of the neurological damage that occurs past a certain point is not necessarily reversible, you know. And so by the time a lot of these people came to me, they were willing to do anything. Yeah. But it's really, really hard, you know, past a certain point to, to bring somebody back out of, you know, neurodegenerative processes. And so, I mean, I think that that's part of it. There is, uh, you know, sympathetic over-arousal. I know you know this language, is is just epidemic in that population. It's epidemic anyway. But in that population, what you have are brains and nervous systems that are just on overdrive. They're inflamed. I mean, you know, a vegan diet of necessity is a high carbohydrate and very high antigenic diet. So they're consuming a lot of substances and grains and legumes and whatever else, a lot of lectins and things like gluten and whatever else um, that are going to just, you know, reap havoc.
1: They're irritants. And I know my experience as a a very well-educated, it was raw vegan, eventually I became raw omnivore, which helped a lot. But... I did develop more autoimmune conditions than I had before. I had all these different problems. Absolutely. But the agitation is energizing. Like, you feel good if you were asleep before. Well, you think you, you think you've, so the it, it, you. So people need to
2: distinguish between energy and nerves. Yeah. Right? It's It's like the difference wow. between, you know, waking up and, you know, and having, you know, your brain has energy and you feel like you can just go out and get things done. And, you know, no offense, but, you know, drinking 10 cups of coffee, whether it's bulletproof or not, you know, your nervous yeah. system is yeah. going to be, you know, rattled. You're going to think it's you true. have energy, but it's not really energy.
1: It's right? it's pretty much cortisol and agitation and right. isympathetic. Calm. So, I mean,
2: you know, if, if you if you feel like you're not worth a damn without that morning coffee, then I, I challenge people to, to look at that a little bit more closely. I'm not opposed to coffee I, at all necessarily i was gonna
1: just ask you to leave for yeah
2: i know i, I was just, just i i see the <laughs> I bouncer totally coming killed. my way it's, it's okay you know call them off call them
1: anti-coffee people on the show they, they had a hard time speaking in complete sentences but they were on the show
2: sure sure eh, well just kidding <laughs> i'm not anti. i mean i actually am more of a teetotaler but i'm not anti-coffee but you know it depends on who you are all these yeah. things are oh, yeah.
1: it, it's yeah. epigenetic and also uh, if you need it to survive you probably have an That's issue probably
2: a problem yeah yeah,
1: yeah. It, it, totally with you there yeah, yeah. So, why do you say that that paleo and keto are going to be co-opted? In fact, you've been saying it for a long time. What does that mean?
2: Well, you know, again, so for years I felt like as though I was struggling to fit myself like a square peg into a round hole when it comes to the whole paleo genre. Trying to distinguish what my message is as as a as opposed to kind of a lot of what else is out there. What's happened with those two fields? It happens really with everything sooner or later. It becomes co-opted by industry, right? And it becomes popular enough, industry sees an opportunity, looks for all kinds of ways of marketing stuff, and next thing you know, you've gone from real food to cookies and cream keto bars and you know, and you know, paleo-friendly brownie mix. And um and there is a lot that is catering to what people want to hear as opposed to what they what they really need to know. And I'm very, you know, I'm purist. I'm very foundational and very functional. And I'm very interested in taking a health optimization approach. And uh, multinational corporate interests really don't stand to make a penny for me. You know, it it becomes a a conflicted kind of a thing. You know, when something becomes really, really popular... All kinds of stuff happens. You have also people entering into the field that don't necessarily know very much. It's a big problem. Yeah, And they cut and paste from other people's work and pretend to be an expert. And maybe they have good marketing expertise behind them and they can make themselves look good and they can sell a bunch of stuff and it muddies the waters. And pretty soon people are hearing this from this person, this from that person. It all becomes confusing. And eventually it all gets relegated to a fad and disappears in, you know, in the mists of history as just, oh, it was that fad that happened. You know, I desperately don't want that to happen. And I created the, the, you know, I trademarked the term primogenic to help divest myself from these these now kind of commercialized versions of paleo and keto that I'm really not comfortable aligning myself with because there's just too much confusion and too much misinformation and disinformation, and whatever. Uh, and I don't want to be conflated with all that.
1: One of the things that disturbed me the most is a keto cookie. That's made, it's, and, and okay, I make some pretty damn good uh-huh. apple pie collagen bars with something like six grams of carbs in them. Mm-hmm. And it's made out of collagen from grass fed, everything like, okay, I like eating those and I don't have a problem with that. And yeah, they do have some monk fruit or stevia, whatever we're using in, in that specific one, um, which some people say, you know, you should have no taste for sugar. Like there's, there's levels of that, but I feel confident when I give those to my kids, right? And some people would say those aren't good, but there's a keto cookie out there that's made out of wheat gluten as the primary oh, protein. Oh my God. Yeah. you like, come on. Like like that if you label that keto and someone eats a five of those a day and they say I didn't get any results from the keto diet, then you've maligned an entire industry just because you made a product that had higher margins but was actually bad for people. There's
2: more of this happening now than there is woodwork for it to ooze out of. And yeah. you know, I've I've kind of, you know, I've had it up to my gills. And so you know, my I'm I'm continuing with my with my message and it's not motivated by marketing interests. It's really my intention is to do the right thing in the right way for the right reasons. And, uh, you know, come hell or high water. And it may not be what people want to hear, but it's going to be the truth as I have discovered it, you know, and um, and as I as I'm seeking to communicate it. And, you know, it's not necessarily so important for me to be right as it is important for me to be accurate. So, when I'm when I'm going through and I'm researching stuff, or whatever, if I make a statement about something, I mean, I become worse over time. I mean, I'm more and more anal, it seems like, every day about stuff. I research the crap out of anything that, you know, comes out of my mouth now. I'm just really, really careful about being accurate as best I can be, you know? I mean... There's there there, you know, common phraseology now in the you know mainstream media, you know, the science is settled. Settled science is an oxymoron. The science isn't the last word, it's the latest word. Yeah, it won't be settled ever. Not That's why ever. It's science. By by very <laughs> definition, it shouldn't be. But, you know, I'm I'm doing the best that I can with the information that I have. And I can say that unlike a lot of other people who continue to change their message with the going trend, that my message really hasn't changed fundamentally from the start, but it has evolved over time. And so what I've done is, you know, now I've created a, uh, a, a program. Yeah, it's, it's I'm calling it a three-week meal-by-meal total health transformation program, primal, the genic Plan, and it, it is, <laughs> you know, I, I just sort of had this... You idea. sound like
1: a marketing person there for a minute. Do
2: I sound like that? Well, you know, so, okay, so I mean, I, I may be using wrong. better it, language. Yeah. It's about communicating, right? It, it, it's it, about, it is about effective yeah. communication and reaching people where, you know, in ways that they want to be reached. No, no, it, but the quality of what I've yeah. created and what I've done is like, I'm telling you, there's no fluff. I mean, with yeah. a lot of marketing, there's fluff. There's no fluff here. This is intense information, lots of really high quality information so that people not only have a little bit of hand-holding going through the process of adopting a health-optimizing diet mm-hmm. that I believe is fundamentally foundational for everybody. But- um, but also that um, you know they're going to get a lot of the why and wherefore. They're going to understand why they're doing what they're doing.
1: Well, the the good news is that if you created all this knowledge and you didn't put it in such a format that people would consume it, it doesn't matter because knowledge that no one ever receives is useless knowledge. Very true. And the second thing. Just because of the success and the visibility of Bulletproof Radio of my company Bulletproof, and not a lot of food companies have raised you know sixty eight million in venture funding and, and things like that. Yeah, yeah, show off. Well, it's yeah. not about showing <laughs> off. No, it's just I'm it, kidding, I'm kidding. It, it, it provides access to things. So I've had a chance to sit down with sure. CEOs of some of the largest food companies in the world. Okay, and you walk into those meetings, and you're like, these people are like destroying the human whatever. But you sit down and you talk to them, and you're like, actually, they are. They have kids, they have their own autoimmune issues or whatever, and they are keenly interested in, oh, you know, what, what can I do for myself? What can I do for my employees? What can I do for my customers? Exactly. They're human beings. They're right? human, and, and they actually want to help. And to a T, they all feel a moral obligation to create the best stuff that people will buy. And, and the flip side she of that,
2: really read, to which they understand it, I'm actually very oh.
1: good friends with somebody who was a
2: CEO of three different major, major, major companies. And, you know, they said to me, you know, Nora, I swear to you, I did not know how bad trans fats were. But yep. I, but he says, I promise you that there were people around me who knew and said nothing.
1: Yep. So oh, there, There's groupthink. And it, what, what my experience has been that the CEOs are curious, they're interested, but in one of the big companies, there was a thing, look, saturated fats are just bad. And they were not gonna change that. I'm like, great, this is on the list of companies that will be disrupted. Mm -hmm. It is going to happen, because saturated fats make people feel good, Mm -hmm. and they are not bad for you. And if they're trans fats, they're saturated, it's a different animal. Or inter fats, which are not
2: replacing the the trans fats, right?
1: Yeah, all the bad things you can do. But the thing is, they want to do it. They also say, look, if I do things that make the food cost twice as much, no one will buy it, and then someone else will make junk food. I would, uh, well, you would, they right. say that, but to them, no one. They're saying, well, I want something 99% of people will buy and it's gotta be you know the lowest possible cost. And the bottom line is there's a certain point you go below this cost, it's not okay to sell that. And I think, I really do think that these companies are waking up to that because they see like you know, Campbell's Soup just dropped you know, 20% in sales in year. People are saying, wait, I just don't want it anymore. It's not food. So I, I think your message, our message, the message that our listeners share, they're going to, to let you know what's, What's going on? Like the, the right. Evolution is happening. It's just slow.
2: Well, the thing about corporations is that they really have only one obligation, one obligation only, and that's profit for their shareholders. It's not, you know, it's not to create the best quality, whatever, just because people are asking for it. it you know, I don't trust them to give me what I ask for, even if I demand it, or even, even if lots of us demand it. What they're likeliest to do is to give us what they think we want to hear. And um, they'll use the language that they think will most effectively reach, but in the way that it maximizes the profit for their shareholders. And so I don't know that I ever trust the major food manufacturers to do the right thing. You know, I, I just, I don't necessarily.
1: So I don't trust them to do the right thing, but I know they want to do the right thing. And I know that they'll respond to market forces. And what that means is that if you do the right thing and I do the right thing and our, and our people listening today and people read your books, they go out and say, you know what, I'm not buying that the food supply will shift and and that is the only way that it'll shift.
2: Yeah. And I, I, I guess we, we may have to agree to disagree. I don't think that the, I don't think that the market forces are going to give us what we're actually asking for. I think that they are learning more about how to tell us what we want to hear.
1: Paleo brownie mix story.
2: Exactly. You know, that, that would be one among many, you know, like for instance, the whole trans fat thing. Now everything's zero, zero trans fat, whatever on the label. And then you look, and this was before the law, you know, changed last year. Um, and you look at the label of the microwave popping corn and zero percent trans fat on the label, and you turn it over, and partially hydrogenated soybean oil is the first ingredient on the list because there's only a certain because the labeling laws are basically written for them, not for us. Uh, the labeling laws are written in such a way as to allow them loopholes big enough to drive an aircraft carrier through that they can they can state things in a certain way to mislead us into thinking that something's not there when it is. Uh, okay, zero tra- now zero trans fat because the laws are saying no trans fat in the food. Hopefully, they're following suit, but it, they've switched over to into sterified fat, which is every bit as bad, if not worse, than the trans fat was. And so, again, you know, I think that if they can if they can twist things around in a way that convinces to buy whatever, without actually having to, uh, you know, spend more money uh, and and change practices to truly sustainable and health generating methods um you know th- they'll do it they'll do whatever they can get away with and i i don't mean to sound so cynical and dark about it but i i really think that's the way the system works and so for us you know it's important to understand that nobody's coming to save us that we can't ever expect in my humble view anything to change from the top down like ever because there's very little motivation for that i think it's what's incumbent upon us in the face of so many things we feel like we can't control is to take control of what we can be aware understand as much of this as we can and find ways of strategizing our way around the system and, you know, develop that first-hand knowing of where your food comes from as much as humanly possible and, uh, you know, and, and, you know, educate yourself and, uh, you know, take responsibility for, uh, for as much as you possibly can.
1: When you get back to primal genics, uh, you yeah, talk yeah. about these 12 pillars. Yeah. Uh, what what's the first one about uncompromised dietary quality? What does that mean?
2: So uncompromised dietary quality means you're consuming, for instance, the uh, animal source foods you're consuming are coming from animals that have been themselves, you know, fed a diet that is optimal for them, right? Natural forage, so grass fed and finished, you know, naturally or wild caught or or hunted or whatever. Um, and um, also, when it comes to your plant based foods you know, organic, biodynamic. And, and the more you have a firsthand knowing of where that plant food came from, the better.
1: I think I'm doing that right. If if, uh, if people go to my Instagram page, dave.asprey, there's a picture of a pig's head. And I raised the pig on my small family farm and uh fed it actually brain octane oil and activated charcoal every day it practiced intermittent fasting on occasion <laughs> had uh twice of course, the... that'd
2: be totally natural for a pig <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it would be right right, right? yeah and it
1: had twice the twice the meat uh that the butcher expected he's like how did you do this with this pig this is the most beautiful thing i've ever seen right and uh, i cooked his face and ate it and it was delicious i'll bet
2: oh yeah. excellent you, know? you,
1: you say nose to tail in your books. Nose to tail, it.
2: Yeah, yeah. So again, and that's part of the equation to understanding that part of what it means to eat an ancestrally-based diet is to um, understand that it's not just about like steak and chicken, right? That they're, you know, our ancestors ate a lot of organ meats and, and, and they did bone, you know, bone broths and they ate bone marrow and all of that. And uh, in fact, we have big brains in, well, many of us do anyway, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I, I won't name names to the exceptions, but um, politicians and whatever. But, um, you know, the the it's so important for us to get these foods from the highest quality sources and then understand that we need to develop a taste for things that, you know, that we've consumed over the last 2.6 million years that now are not so much um commonly consumed in the food supply, but we have to go a little bit out of our way to find really high quality, you know, organ meats and make our own bone broths at home and all that stuff in order to get all of the nutrients that we're supposed to be getting. And there are ways of doing it. I mean there's a there's a great company. I, I don't have any financial stake in them at all, but ancestral supplements. I'm sure you're familiar with them you know, where they've taken and freeze-dried like um, really, really high-quality organs and tissues or whatever from things that are pristinely fed in New Zealand, on you know. And, um, and they've encapsulated all that so that you can get it in a way if you are just— too squeamish about eating organs. There are ways of getting it. There's a
1: company that makes those liver gummies. What do you think about those? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> That's
2: mm, Yum, yeah, okay. Got my mouth watering now. So anyway, you know, I'm very much about, you know, making it a diet of based on, on you know, foods of uncompromising quality. In other words, 100% organic, grass-fed, free of, you know, and fed and finished, by the way, grass-fed and finished, uh, free of GMOs, pesticides, herbicides, all that stuff. And also, you know, the number two pillar is minimizing all the foods containing significant sugar and starch content, and you know, including the fruit juices and the so-called natural sugars such as honey, you know, coconut sugar, maple syrup, agave, God forbid, and you know, even starchy vegetables and stuff, as well as the refined garbage or garbage, as I sometimes
1: call it. What do you say to the the people saying, you know, I, we looked at all sorts of records, and and our ancestors ate meaningful amounts of honey?
2: Right. Well, it depends on the ancestor you're talking about and the Very season or de- whatever. Yeah. But just because, again, our ancestors did something is not a good enough reason for me to want to do the exact same thing now, right?
1: You it, don't have a Stonehenge in your backyard. It,
2: well, that would be so cool, wouldn't it? It would be. But, know, I was you know. just there, actually. <laughs> it was. It was a really neat thing. I will say that you know I'm friends with Jeff Jeff Leach, and you, mm-hmm. you know who he is. And he's said that actually that that um. That, for instance, the Hadza, of course, the diet that the Hadza are eating now is not the diet that they always used to eat. They're not able to hunt large animals anymore because the the government won't let them anymore, right? So it's small game, whatever. And they eat a lot of honey, but they've also developed a, a genetic polymorphism that allows the bacteria in their gut to metabolize that honey so that it doesn't affect their insulin. It's like crazy adaptation, but they've developed a specific adaptation to it. I would not expect the average person in our culture to have that same adaptation. Mm-hmm. And and speaking of honey, I mean, I, I have a close friend and and they literally, the, on, the only thing they did wrong, this was somebody the, who just, who never overate, who only ate organic, who only ate, you know, moderated their protein intake. They grew all their own organic food in their own garden. They played tennis and they did yoga every week and and had a great attitude and everything else. And they literally destroyed their heart. And they're dead now and and became diabetic and the only the only carb in their life, the only thing was was honey and they believed honey was a superfood and so they were doing you know a few tablespoons of honey a day and made themselves diabetic and ended up losing a couple of toes and whatever else and everything else anybody would have looked at anything else they were doing with their diet and and their exercise and their attitude toward life and everything else and said you know nothing wrong with this person's lifestyle at all
1: no. Some of the research uh, that I put together for my new book on anti-aging, that it's not out yet, comes out later this year, um, touched on research, so when people eat a diet that's more than 20% from animal protein, mm-hmm. uh, usually that means meat protein, not right. necessarily collagen and whatnot, um, and probably I would guess including casein, I'd have to look back at the study, um, they're finding that when they eat that much that there's about a 500% increase in risk of diabetes. Whether or not the rest of it is with sugar, but the risk changes after a certain age, uh, like after 65, you need a little bit more. So the argument there is less protein. I know you and I would agree on eating less protein. We do. Is it possible your friend was eating way too much protein? They were actually, if anything, under-consuming it. Oh, so they were basically on on a honey and fat diet.
2: Well, they weren't actually, in, you know, actually, the only thing I would have complained about with her diet was that she wasn't, she was, this was somebody that was really kind of into a lot of the early, like, Bernard Jensen stuff and whatever else, and uh, so they actually had bought bought into the low lower fat thing. You know, I don't know that they were totally fat phobic, but, um, you know, they, they didn't, it was not a high percentage fat diet, which in their case might have been helpful, because, you know, you... Doing high fat and high sugar together, it's like throwing a lit fuse on top of a powder keg. It's not a good combo. Mm-hmm. You know, fat on its own, fabulous. Sugar on its own, uh, you know. None of us are really designed to handle um, high amounts of carbohydrates. We're just not. Uh, and by the way, there's no established, you know, scientifically established human dietary requirement for carbohydrate. Like not in any medical textbook or textbook of human physiology. We don't require them dietarily at all.
1: Now I went on a extreme zero carb uh, thing There's, for about well, three months. There
2: is kind of no such thing, but well, okay. uh, or you
1: could just eat straight meat. But well, I, I pretty much ate meat and fat yeah. and one serving of broccoli uh-huh. a day, and that was it for three months. And my sleep quality dropped through the floor after about six or eight weeks on that. I was mm-hmm. waking up 12 times a night without knowing I was waking up my sleep on. I felt super hungover. And I developed allergies to uh, eggs, actually, after after I did that.
2: Have you ever done a full battery of Cyrix testing? I have. Okay. yeah. So have you done some of the newer testing, like the Array-12, that's looked at whether or not you have microbial, uh, you know, reacting to microbial antigens at all?
1: I don't know if I've run that panel lately. It could be super interesting,
2: one. because a lot of people that have a history of chronic viral infections, for instance, Epstein-Barr, mm-hmm. whatever, end up reacting to stuff you would never expect anyone to react to.
1: And and eggs are known to trigger if if there's viral stuff. Eggs and chicken both. Well,
2: in certain individuals who may be sensitive, you know, who may be vulnerable to that. So that would be a place I would want to look if, if, you know, if I were working with you as a client, it's like, oh, yeah, I really want to look at this. Because people who start reacting to meat and, you know, and chicken and, you know, whatever... I really want, because those are the things that are least likely to be antigenic, right? Those are the, I really want to start looking at those microbial antigens. The history of Epstein-Barr is a biggie, biggie,
1: biggie. I do have a history of taking insane amounts of antibiotics for many years. Oh,
2: shit. <laughs> from living in a toxic
1: mold environment, yeah, chronic sinus right. infections, and all that kind of stuff. So I'm I'm, I'm a high-risk person from all sorts of things. I used to weigh 300 pounds, et cetera. Right,
2: right. Uh, but I, that,
1: yeah. I also only had 48 species of bacteria in my gut, according to a Viome test. Yo. I added some low-utilizable carb, essentially the prebiotic stuff that Bulletproof is launching now. Mm. Uh, and I got my species count up to about 196, which is somewhere on the 80th percentile. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I I think that also could have been an issue that I just didn't have anything to feed my gut bacteria. They may have been going after my gut lining. So I, I kind of feel like I've seen so many people go on a no-carb diet, and after a couple of months, they really don't like their life, especially Well, women. you
2: know, and it depends on what they're doing with that, right? I right. mean, I'm, I don't, you know, okay. so I, it's a trite phrase but it's really true. I do tend to eat more vegetables and fibrous vegetables and greens than most vegetarians and vegans yeah, do. Yeah, right? same here, right. Right. So I'm, I'm an advocate for that, but I, it's, it's, I see it as supplemental, not f- foundational, not necessarily fundamental. But I do think those things are more important to us today than they ever used to be during our long evolutionary history, just simply because of how embattled our gut biome is in today's world with everything, I mean, chlorinated water, you know, we're we're, we're surre- glyphosate, we're surrounded by antibiotics. And so our gut biome is constantly under attack. Anything we can do to prebiotically feed that is great. I will say there are fermentable, you know, animal fibers too.
1: Collagen being the number one. Of Collagen them, right? <laughs> being
2: very, very high on the list. Yes, all kinds of connective tissue and things like that. And, and even higher, it, it, even more effective as a prebiotic than like fructoligosaccharides might be. So um and this this you comes think from a microbiologist.
1: Is more effective as a prebiotic than FOS?
2: Uh specifically collagen P- possibly. What yeah. A, I I have I Do you know, the most so you know who me- Ron Krishnan is.
1: Uh I don't believe so. He's
2: a, he's a you know he's a scientist a microbiologist yeah. and he's all about the gut bacteria and all of that and he just said yeah absolutely it's actually even more effective as a prebiotic. Um in some cases, than uh, than plant fiber it, in terms of facilitating healthy gut flora. I will, so
1: I'll look up his research. In, in the 2014 Bulletproof Diet, I talked about two studies that showed bacteria can turn collagen into butyric acid in the gut of leopards.
2: (laughs) Yes, yes, but our digestive system is far more similar to carnivores, and I've seen that same research, than it is herbivores. We Mm -hmm. don't have a fermentative-based digestive system. Only 20% of our digestive system is devoted to fermentation. We have a hydrochloric acid-based digestive system. Mm -hmm. We are designed to derive nutrients from animals that have synthesized these nutrients for us. We don't have any possible means of optimizing the extraction of nutrients from plants. We don't have that type of digestive system. So we can't do what a cow does or, Mm -hmm. you know, or, or, you know, what.
1: And even if we wanted to do what, what one of them does, we probably don't know very well. Uh, I know that if I take raw kale and I try and give it to my sheep, they'll spit it out. Oh, really? Well, I, I, give it I to would some do that. Of my friends, they make a like salad out of it. Kale <laughs>
2: chips, love them, but you know, <laughs> they're cooked. Kale, it just—it's just bad mouth feel. I don't know. I don't care for it, but I, I love kale chips. I could eat a whole, you know, a whole huge bucket of you, kale chips.
1: You don't worry about oxalic acid in kale.
2: I, you know, I don't have problems with that. I guess if you know somebody was prone to certain type of kidney stone, perhaps you know oxalates, but. You know, once you've... Yeah, I know there's only a certain degree to which you can neutralize some of these things in uh, by by cooking, but anyway. Yeah,
1: you can cook and wash, the water, wash mm-hmm. the water and throw baking soda or something in to, right. not, to basically precipitate out the crystals before you eat it. Yeah. But like... Um, uh, what, uh, vulvodynia is associated with high intake of kale and oxalic acid, mm-hmm. which is a really painful condition for women, where you know your your organs are so inflamed that you can't even wear underwear. Like it's it's the the women I know who have had it are just like I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy.
2: Yeah, whether I have underwear on or not. Not really the issue, but yeah, I don't have that problem. Yeah, thank so goodness. Yes, thank goodness. No, yeah, I, yeah, I don't have a problem you know, right I, now, so. So, I mean, it's like, kale kill, <laughs> kill chips are kind of an occasional indulgence. I don't do this every day, so. But anyway, it's, you know, it's it's one of my...
1: Yeah, I, I hear you. But well, I mean, they they also if they work for you, they don't. And, and I think a third of people, according to Viome, don't have gut bacteria that handles oxalates, mm-hmm. and two thirds of people do. So which one are you, right? And right, can exactly. you grow those gut bacteria? I haven't been able to. I, I still i i get sore joints when I eat kale. I just don't eat it. It's not worth it. Um, or I might just have a few bites because it's delicious. But right, right. Well, you have 12 rules. And we've actually gone through three.
2: Uh, yeah. You inadvertently got to number three, which was the protein moderation thing. You know, it's it really, this is not a carnivore diet. This is not a high-protein diet. This is a very moderate-protein diet. Um, and again, when you consume protein in excess of what you need for your maintenance and repair... A certain percentage of that, anywhere from you know 36 to 58 percent, depending on whose research you look at, can get converted to sugar and used the same way. Maybe there's a diabetes thing there. I don't know. But then you're also activating mTOR, which is also part of the equation when it comes to diabetic, um, you know, involvement. And and so you're, if you're activating mTOR, this mammalian target of rapamycin, this metabolic pathway, you know, you're basically shortening your lifespan. Is what it boils down to. And I know that people are liking the carnivore diet thing. I mean, you know, it's it's another fad. That's, you know, and and I understand. For long stretches of our evolutionary history, we probably we we were high level carnivores. We were higher level carnivores than bears, wolves, foxes, you know, all kinds of things because we hunted
1: megafauna. Yeah, I I support that. For you want to do it for six weeks to reset your gut bacteria and see how you do. Cool. You want to do that for several years? You're not going to like what happens. No,
2: I, I, I'm not, Although a, few fan. People I'm do, not a fan. I'm not a fan of that.
1: Well, we're, we're not going to get through all 12 of these, Yeah. but I yeah. think I just there isn't time in the show. Right. I do think, though, that, that that's a really good example. And all the principles are very much in alignment with what I've learned. Mm-hmm. And, and they're, they all make sense. And they're all in your primal genetic program. Uh, yes. Which now, when you say it's a program, uh, so is this an online thing? Yeah, uh, it's an online thing. Okay, right
2: uh, there. There are a number of um, of videos, uh, quite a number of them actually. Uh, right now, at least sixteen. Uh, there are going to be additional, uh, all kinds of additional bonuses and and handouts and things like that that you'll be getting, and recordings. There'll also be a a an exclusive forum where people can come on and they'll feel a sense of community. They'll be able to ask. Ask questions and all that kind of a thing. So there'll be a lot of support around this as well. But it's, you know, this is really a, you know, kind of like a a a very very passionate thing that I have created rather painstakingly. And there's nothing superficial or you know fluff about it. It's real education. It is. Yeah,
1: and you're real
2: help for people who are suffering that need it.
1: And you're a you're a pioneer in the field, so making your teachings, you know, just them down to 12 things is exceptionally difficult to do, and then to make it charitable. So I, I appreciate that you did that, and I'm hoping that people got a taste of the kind of knowledge that you have uh, on the show today. And yeah. I've, I've got a question for you. Sure. I'm, I'm really keen, this is the final question in the interview, I'm really keen to get your take on this. I'm planning to live an exceptionally long time, <laughs> uh, or at least die trying. Okay. Uh, and
2: hopefully you don't get hit by a bus later today, but yeah. You know,
1: driving a heavy vehicle is part of my anti-aging plan. Or get hit by
2: Physics. a stray vegan bullet or something.
1: Uh, vegan bullets, they just splat, I tell you. Yeah, okay. Uh, the marshmallows. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so uh, assuming that, you know, no trauma takes me out, you know, the diseases of aging and things like that, I think I can, I can hit 180 um, at least. It's
2: theoretically possible, right? Now, uh,
1: and uh, you, you've studied a lot of things I haven't studied and we've looked at a lot of similar things, but how long do you think you can live? Oh man.
2: I, you know, it, I don't know. And, and actually it doesn't matter to me that much. What, what matters is not so much the length of time that any of us live. You know, I, what's the point of living to 120 if you're on an oxygen tank and limping around and, you know, Mm -hmm. and uh, you know, if your mental faculties are gone and your joints are aching and, you know, whatever else. So it's about the quality of life, not the quantity of life in my mind. And that's, so even though I, part of what I do is I, I cross pollinate my ancestral research with human longevity research, which, you know, again, just because our ancestors did something is not necessarily good enough yes. reason for me to want to do the same thing, because just because something grew out of the ground and seemed natural and they could shove it in their faces, eat it and not drop dead, doesn't necessarily mean that was health optimizing for them. I want yes. to know what's optimizing. And so that's my approach. And it, it seems very puritanical, but I've got to tell you that we got no wiggle room today. We do mm-hmm. not have the wiggle room of our prehistoric ancestors. We don't even have the wiggle room of our great grandparents, our grandparents, or even our parents. That we are living in a modern world that is more hostile to our being as, as a human species than any hostile environment we've ever lived through mm-hmm. during our long evolutionary history. Only what we're wired for as a species, are tangible threats, right? Yeah, this a saber-toothed tiger jumps out from behind a bush, chases you around. That's tangible. Cantankerous woolly mammoth, a poisonous snake, a warring tribe, a major storm, a you know a seismic event, or even famine. That's tangible. But today, we're all living in these lovely you know, 72-degree climate-controlled environments. We have plenty. We don't have to take more than a couple steps in any direction to grab a handful of something we might want to call as food— And, you know, we're sitting on our comfy couches and, you know, watching Dancing with the Stars and eating cheesy doodles and thinking we got it pretty good. You know, we feel like we're sitting in a hot tub in Vegas, but when we're really boiling frogs. And so most of what threatens our survival today as a species are those things that are fundamentally invisible to us contaminants in our air, water, and food supply, you know, mycotoxins, certainly EMF, and God help us 5G, and uh, radiation contamination, and, you know, the sociopathic imaginings of multinational corporate interests, and, you know, all kinds of things are threatening us in ways that are invisible, and therefore we're not wired to know to pay attention uh, to those things and to take action in order to protect ourselves. And so, again, you know, we have to take control of what we can because, you know, we're being impinged on from every from every which direction. And, and so taking control of our health and, and learning to, to, to pay attention. And we have to condition ourselves to look for this stuff and to pay attention to it. You're talking about BPA earlier. You know, it, 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 people see BPA free. It's a ruse, folks, because everything that's BPA free you know, is being they're replacing it with BPS, which is as bad or worse. It's just like the trans fat thing, you know. It's being replaced with intersterified fat, and the industry is just buying itself another decade or two, um, leading us to believe that oh, this is good for me now. It's BPA free. You know, we have to be alert to some of these to some of these issues. Um, and so, um, anyway, you know, I'm I'm committed to providing as much information as I possibly can that is going to be of practical value to people that need it. I've worked with suffering people for over two decades now, and I've had it up to my eyeballs. I've really had it up to my gills with suffering. So much of it is unnecessary. And um, I think people are being, you know, victimized by misinformation and disinformation and predatory advertising and all kinds of crap. And I'm really, really committed to making sure that people get good information that can make a measurable difference in the way that they feel and function in this world.
1: Nora, thanks for being on Bulletproof Radio. Your website, Primal Body, Primal Mind?
2: Primalbody-primalmind.com. I also have a certification course, 52 weeks worth of in-depth material. Wow. Yeah, if you go to primalcourses.com, you can learn more about my different programs and, uh, and, and learn more about uh, my new uh, primogenic plan program, uh, which I think is going to be an easy way for people to incorporate these changes into their lives in a way that will make a real difference.
1: Well, you've definitely, your 12 principles are all correct as far as Thank my you, understanding sir. of the world is. And it is not easy to do that. No. Well executed. Thanks for being a pioneer and <laughs> game changer disruptor in the field.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm a oh. ravel Roser, That's for sure. I'm a total troublemaker. But, you know, I, I'm i in good company. So yeah, there we go. Right in. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Thank yeah. Thanks, Dave. I appreciate
1: it. If you like today's episode, you know what to do head on over to Nora's website and check it out. Pick up one of Nora's books or pick up one of my books if you haven't already. And whatever you do, when you buy a book from someone who's been on the show, go to Amazon and leave a review because it tells other people that, you know. as an author, we like to know that what we did made a difference. So do that. It takes maybe 10 seconds to do it, but more importantly, it lets you express gratitude, which makes you live longer. So live longer, review books.
0: <laughs> Have a great day.
2: It also helps offset all the you know-